So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans. I'm Norma Jean, and this is Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. Today, we're talking to Renee Martina, who is one of the founders of Hubud, which is the hub in Ubud, a co-working space here in Ubud, Bali. She's doing an amazing program called Women in Transition, helping women change their lives. She's a mom. She used to work for the UN. She knows a lot about conflict, resolution, and communication. So it's a really fun exchange. I hope you enjoy. Today's podcast is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer, songwriter, original daily doodler, cartooner, and all of my artwork and some shirts of my artwork are available at njloves.com. If you're liking the podcast, please like us, subscribe to us, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. If you write us a review, that would be great. We'd love a review, um, and it really adds to help more people find the show. So I'll get to the interview with Renee and enjoy. All right, so welcome to Stay Wild. I'm here with Renee Martina. Hello, Renee. Hi. Hi. So Renee is one of the founders of Hubud, which is the really big co-working space here in Ubud in Bali, where we're coming at you from. <laughs> and they've gotten a bunch of awards and, you know, they're coming up and, and you know, they're really buzzing in terms of people getting to know the space and getting to know Ubud and all that. Um, and Renee's also been working on a lot of programs for women and, and especially women who are in transition. So Renee, tell us a little bit about, give us the who you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I guess I, I my interest in women started a really long time ago because before I arrived in Bali, I was working for the UN for about 10 years in women's empowerment and uh, what they called gender mainstreaming at the time, which is basically just kind of advising all different kinds of UN programs on how they could pay more attention to women and in how they were constructing those projects. So I had the opportunity to do a lot of great stuff, but after 10 years, um, my husband Steve and I decided we were a little bit burnt out from the bureaucratic life. Mm. And, you know, working for the UN is a little bit like the more successful you are, the further away you are from the people that you actually started out wanting to work with sort of thing. Mm. And it becomes a lot of paper pushing and all of that. And so we decided we were burnt out. And we came to Bali. And like a great many women, I think, or people generally that come to Bali, I was really looking to change my life, but I didn't know where to start looking. And of course, there's just a plethora of options in Bali in terms of exploring who you are, from yoga to meditation, to workshop on your creativity, to this, to that, whatever. But there was so much, it was hard to discern kind of what I wanted to do. And I found myself wishing that there was like almost like a smorgasbord type program where you could kind of go, I want a sampling of all these little things and then I'll choose what things I kind of resonate with and then I can go deeper then. Ah, like give me the buffet. Let me go back for what I actually want. Exactly. totally what I do. It's always the self-serve ice cream. It just is. (laughs) It just is. Well, this is a good, this is a good note to continue on because everyone does have a sense of what their self-serve ice cream is once they see it, right? Right. But when you first get to the buffet, you got to do the scan. So that was my feeling. It's like, I didn't want to have to take like 200 hour yoga teacher training or like a month long course on how to write a book if I wasn't sure I wanted to write a book yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the genesis for the women in transition program came is that, you know, after all my years here, eight years now, uh, I've met a lot of really incredible people and a lot of incredible women who've made major transitions in their life. They've, mm. you know, either they've left, you know, jobs, careers, relationships, uh, you name it, maybe all of the above. 
and they've totally reinvented themselves and they've done so with a lot of integrity and a lot of self-knowledge and all of that. So what I've done is I've tried to pull together some of these women, women I call my co-facilitators who are all experts in different walks of life and kind of put them before women who I know are wanting to make a big change in their life. And then I just sort of say, Hey, let's have some fun together. Let's kind of explore what these different women have to offer you. And then after that, if you meet someone that you think, yeah, that's someone I really want to do more work with, then you can dive in. Cool. So it's kind of like the sampler. So talking about major transitions, um, you're Canadian, right? Yeah. Okay. So you started out in Canada when I've never, I mean, I'm going to admit this. I'm American, and I've never been to Canada. <laughs> You're it's so me. embarrassing. It's the most embarrassing thing. Well, you got to come sometime. I know, I know. It's looking and pretty I, sweet up there these once days. I, go, I have so many friends that are there. I just, I have it. Like, it's really mortifying. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. But I haven't been to Canada, so my, my only real exposure is, like, Anne of Green Gables. Horrible. <laughs> there is more to Canada than that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that. But, you know, I'm thinking, like, it's idyllic on Prince Edward Island. Anyway... <laughs> So you're from Canada, and then how did you end up living abroad? How did you end up going from a traditional career into something that you created yourself? Okay. Well, I think like a great many nomads, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to live this life. So I always joke with people and say it's a little bit like, you know, when you talk to your friends who are gay, they come out of the closet when they're like 25 or something, and then you say, when did you know? And they go, well, I knew when I was five or six. That's kind of how I feel (laughs) about living this kind of life because I can remember I grew up on a farm outside the city of Calgary in Canada, and I remember looking around at a very young age and thinking, yeah, this isn't my gig. Not at all. And it's fine. It wasn't that I was desperately unhappy or anything, but it just wasn't me, and I knew it. So the first chance I got, yeah. I was out traveling, backpacking. Um, when I was 17, I sailed for six months around the world, and I just I caught the bug. So it was any yeah. opportunity I could get to, to get out there. I studied international relations for an undergrad. I did uh, two master's degrees, actually, one in Middle East Studies and the other one in Conflict Resolution. And I always had my eye on the UN Prize, which I got, and then was very quickly disillusioned with the bureaucratic life. Mm. So it took me 10 years, of course, of of what we call the golden handcuffs to figure out that like, yeah, maybe I need to do something else. And I'll just, I'll just keep collecting these paychecks (laughs) in the meantime until I figure it all out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But we, we did take the plunge and we decided to go world schooling, which is another kind of interest of mine with my, cause I have two children. World schooling. World schooling. Which I haven't is, heard that term. Right. It's like homeschooling on the road with your kids. Okay. And the reason it's different than traditional homeschooling is because if you homeschool, let's say in, in Canada or the States or somewhere like that, and you're kind of more sedentary, you, people will often pick a curriculum that's associated with the place that they're in. But if you're moving all around, you know, what's the sense of having a Canadian curriculum and studying, say, like First Nations when you're in Mongolia and you want to be studying yurts and what goes on there, right? Right. So what you do is you sort of curate a curriculum for your children that suits, you know, their needs and their challenges and their interests and all of that. And you do it while you're traveling. And so you try to make it really relevant to the places that you go to. So that was our first stint. We did about seven months traveling with the kids at that point. And then... Where'd you go? Oh, gosh. All over Southeast Asia and... I think Denmark and where do we go that time? We've been to a lot of countries with our kids, like something like 42 or something with the kids. Yeah. Fabulous. We've we've done a lot of it. So that's, yeah, that's our other passion is the big traveling thing. But Mm. yeah. And then we ran out of money, of course, as you do (laughs) seven months later, we're like, okay, we got to either go back to work or we got to figure something out. And we had a couple of job offers. I remember one was in um, Lebanon and the other one was in India. And we just kind of had that feeling like, Oh, I don't know. And then Bali came up on the radar. Mm. 
And this I, was back in the day? This is, well, we, so this is 2000, yeah, 2009, kind of, 2009, 2010. And we had, like, a long time before, when it was still cheap as chips to do so, had purchased a little bit of, of land here. Mm. Really, when it was cheap as chips to do so. And we just kind of <laughs> thought, like, okay, you know, 20 years from now, maybe we'll retire in right. Bali. We'll retire. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So we had this piece of land, and so it just sort of came up as, like, hey, you know, maybe we could do something, like, start a training center, do something in Bali, instead of going back to the U.N., and I decided, good mother that I am, that I would make the decision based on the best schools. Mm. So I did a little Google search, and of course, that's when the Green School had opened. Oh, yeah. A couple right. of other guests have kids that go to Green School. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Green School was, it, you know, I mean, it's like a miracle for me, education-wise, at the time. And of course, the reality is always a slightly different when you arrive here and you realize that, you know, it's, it's a school like any others. Right. It's got it's a scrolling page. Yes, exactly. exactly. It looks really magical. For those of you who haven't been to Bali or who don't know about Green School, it's entirely made out of bamboo. So you go in and it looks, you know, like a giant, like tree house, amazing thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, where am I? But you know, when you get to the reality of things like anything else, even, you know, especially when you live abroad, there's a day to day reality of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it just, it's just a long process to articulate the vision in a way that it's really yeah. grounded, right? There were some big dreams and I, and I, I don't fault Green School at all for all of its transitions because, you know, having a startup myself, I realize how difficult it is to make oh my gosh, it's the, the big dream a reality, right? <laughs> so I'm very, very, I mean, and the people that we met there were mm. just unbelievable. So we left a life, because that was your question, we left a life where, you know, we gave up the golden handcuffs where everyone thought we were crazy. You're like, what? You're right. giving up the... They're like, college? How are you going to pay for that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> college. Oh my God. And the, and the pension plan and the benefits and the, I mean, you name it, right? And we didn't have answers for those questions. So it was easy to feel really sheepish about our choices. But once we got to Bali, it was like, hey, I'm here because I'm living a life I no longer believed in. And everyone else was like, hey, me too. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it was this amazing kind of synergy of super risk-taking, really resourceful people who were like, hey, let's figure out what we can do. So it didn't take us long of being here before we realized that, you know, what if we took all these cool people that we're meeting at the green school, like all these parents and stuff, mm. and put them in the same space? What would they create mm. if we if we did that? And that's that's how Hubud was born. Cool. And the name for Hubud is a little bit funny. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Well, so we owe we owe all the credit for that to one of our original co-founders, John Alderson, who is a designer. He worked for IDEO in Singapore, and he came up with that. And I'll just say, it gave us a little bit of anxiety in the beginning because we were like, how are we going to say that? People don't know how to pronounce it. And, you know, like any other brand, very quickly, people people get to know it and they and, it, and it's just Hubud. It feels like it's always been Hubud. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like Hub Hubud. Yeah, Hubud. Hub in Hubud, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. And so there's been a real movement of co-working spaces. So I think you guys kind of hit right before, like, things got really into the digital nomad space. Yeah. Globally, I think, because a lot of, even a lot of big tech companies are offering, you know, to, hey, don't leave us. You can still travel and have your year yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it seems like it's definitely a trend that's not even a trend, but, like, something that's happening forward moving, I guess, within a lot of industries where you can work online or you, yeah, or you can work just off your computer. Yeah. So I think from, from what I've seen, you guys kind of hit early on that trend. Yeah. So we were probably the very first, well, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure we were the very first non-urban co-working space uh, to open up. 
because most of them are like we work and stuff, you know, they're all kind of in New York and LA and, and Paris and all of these places. And so, all right. so they're for people who are like in the rat race, in the urban hub, but maybe right. freelancers and want the office space. Yeah. And then when we opened, you wouldn't believe the number of people who said like, why on earth would you open it? I was one of them. Oh, but yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was going to go to my, but, I was yeah. like, but, but cafes have free Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said that to a couple exactly. of people. I was like, I don't yeah. get, I mean, now I totally get it. But at the time yeah. when it, when something doesn't exist, you know, and you're an innovator in that industry, there's a lot of people that are like, what is this? The center for ants? And you're yeah. like, no, Zoolander, it's co-working. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we, you know, we were also pretty nervous that we'd made a crazy decision to do something that would never work. I mean, let's face it, that's part of the whole startup gig, right? But, um, but we knew we wanted something like that and we knew it wasn't going to be just about a space. It was never meant to be just about a space. I mean, we came from the development world, so we had a larger vision of it being this space that occupies the place somewhere between kind of traditional development and traditional business. So with the heart of development, but with the kind of, you know, nimbleness of business and the creativity and the innovation that you talked about, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and we always knew we wanted it to be a learning space too, based on the sharing economy. So we have uh, on average, like 430 events a year um, wow. that are all kind of member driven, uh, where people just share information with each other. And that's why I always love using the word nomad with the K N O W, because I really think of our members as being kind of knowledge traders, you know? Oh, right. Like, no, yeah. nomad. Yeah. K N O W. Exactly. So they're I transient, like they're totally globally mobile, but they traded information. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. So you must get a lot of like, fun, quirky experts that come through. Also. Oh, tons. I mean, it's one of the best parts about running a co-working space is that you get amazing people coming through. And you're right to say that the movement is only growing. Like the, I think the last stats we saw said something like by the, by 2020, there's going to be 20,000 co-working spaces 20, worldwide. Yeah. Spaces. And when we opened in Bali, we were the first, of course. And within one year, there were 18 more. Now there aren't that many now because obviously not all of them were successful, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's really a movement. And you know, we've also started something called the Coworking Alliance for Asia Pacific, um, which is a regional association uh, with co-working spaces as members. And we have an event every year where about 300 people come together and talk about co-working in the region. And it's mm-hmm. it's not like a, a regular industry meeting. It's no, like, it's probably quirky and fun. Yeah, and it's super massive and it's a movement. It's, yeah. it's people who are believing in shifting the discourse on the way work is done and it's very cool. Right, the work smart, not hard thing. Yeah, and, and work in a way that is more than just profit. It's about personal sustainability. It's about planetary sustainability. It's about passion and purpose and all those things we always love to talk about and who would... It's, it's all of that stuff. It's just a yeah. more kind of holistic way of approaching your life, really. Cool. Cool. Okay. So when you talk about the co-working alliance of co-working alliance of Asia Pacific, Mm -hmm. um, have you guys teamed up with them to do like a pass where you can like join one and then go to all of them? Yeah, we do have kind of reciprocal memberships with some of the member spaces. And now actually we've literally just launched this week, like a digital community for that organization for cap is what it's called. Co-working alliance for Asia Pacific. And so all that sort of stuff I think will be happening like in earnest now. Cool. So if you're like backpacking through and you're a freelancer and you're coming through, you'd be like, okay, I want to hit up all these countries, but like I got shit to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can like do it yeah. in all these countries. Absolutely. And, okay, cool. and you can already do that with a Hubud membership, for example. Like I can't remember how many we have now, but it's at least kind of eight or 10 sister spaces around the world that you can, with your Hubud membership, go in and use their space as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. sweet. Wow. Yeah. 
Awesome. So moving into what your passion is and what you've been up to, I want to talk more about the the women and transition and what exactly that is and what inspired you to do that. Okay. Well, as I said before, I came and I knew I wanted that kind of program. And then after a while of sort of piecemealing my own program together, I mm-hmm. realized I could really put this together for other women and and make it easier for them, basically. I just wanted to make it easier for them. Yeah, because it's hard. It's hard. When you come on your own to a country and things are not developed or set up for you, like, you are reinventing the wheel yeah. at every turn. <laughs> and also, let's face it, I think one of the biggest risks to any nomad is loneliness, right? Absolutely. And so we put this massive emphasis on building the tribe within mm-hmm. these organizations or within these experiences. Uh, so you know, where you might go to a normal yoga retreat and meet a couple of people you kind of like, and maybe you'll keep in touch with them. Maybe you won't. Mm -hmm. From the beginning of this wit experience, I'm like, you guys are each other's best bet in all this. You can learn everything you want from me or from the other experts I bring in. But honestly, what's going to get you through this transition is how close you are to each other and how much you're willing to help each other through it all. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the week we're together, but all of the support that happens afterwards between the participants themselves that really makes a difference in my view. Yeah, that's cool. So you, it's almost like a support network. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And so much more because, you know, like it's scary, isn't it? Transition. I mean, oh my change. Gosh, it's so scary. Exactly. I mean, the amount of questions people ask me, I've been in Nubut a couple of years mm-hmm. and the amount of questions that, that people ask me about, I mean, how to do simple things yeah. or like, are you, do you feel safe in your home at night? Yeah. You know, yeah. cause I live by myself. I'm a single gal, like mm-hmm. living in the rice field. Yeah. They're like, they're like, um, I mean, you're the door to your bedroom locks. Like, do you feel okay at night? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. But I think, you know, when you're first from here and you, and you come from like maybe an urban environment where you like have a code to get in your building and then you have a front door, it's like, you know, there's all these barriers to entry and in Bali, you know, like you definitely are safe, but it's a different way of life. Yeah, it is absolutely. And it's everything from that practical stuff to the really deeply personal stuff where you kind of just need someone to call and like shoot the deep shit with once in a while. Right. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about kind of like, I don't know what happened in your day as much as like, Oh, I just had like a total crisis because yeah, this or this happened, you know, right. I couldn't pay my power. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to, I do, know how to do that. Or yeah, yeah. Or just like, I don't know. I got this crappy email from someone at home and it's really rocked my world or whatever yeah. it is. Right. We don't normally get to have those conversations with people that we haven't known for a long time. Mm. But what I've discovered is that there's a way to kind of accelerate intimacy between people in a way that's super genuine and super trustworthy. Um, so that you can skip over all that, that early stuff of like the getting to know you. Cause we don't have that kind of time I mean, the world is accelerating at an exponential rate, right? And if you're only going to be here six months, a year, two years, who knows? That's the thing. Nobody knows how long you're going to be here. And Mm. I like you. I just want to get to know you. You know, let's cut through all the superficial stuff and just go like, tell me your story, right? Who are you? What makes you tick? That's really interesting. I yo-yo between the, hey, I want to get to know you and you're an amazing person and I can't wait to hear your story to... I can't handle any more people leaving. Yeah. Because after a while, it's like, oh, you know, like your best friend that you've had for a year is like, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, or there's like a transientness, I think. But do you have a way of keeping that going after they go? Yeah. I mean, definitely now digitally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Because that's, to me, the digital revolution has made all the difference Mm -hmm. in that. Like I've been living this life for 20 years. Right. And so I was desperately lonely. Okay. So (laughs) pre-Facebook, it was like, nice knowing you. Yeah. (laughs) And now I still talk to my my very best friends 
almost daily yeah. because we have WhatsApp groups or Voxer is my favorite thing to use because the voice is very um, kind of rich. It's like a radio voice. What is Voxer? It's just another app. Okay. It's just, you know, but yeah, the way it works is like I can, I have like, you know, groups of women that I have little cohorts with and we, we just leave really long shares for each other all the time, mm. whatever's going on. And you can leave it whenever it's convenient for you. So it's actually better because it's not, yeah. you know, like if I'm a mom and I have a job and it's hard for me to make coffee dates with people all the time. But if I've got five minutes, I can leave a share about whatever's happening for me any time of day. And my girlfriend across the world in Seattle can pick it up anytime she has five minutes. Yeah. And it's like this beautiful, long conversation that's really, really intimate and really lovely. And, you know, it's always there for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Most of my best friends actually are in other countries. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. And After it's... a while, it's like, okay, who am I going to go visit? There's no vacations. It's just visiting people. <laughs> um, so you talk about accelerated intimacy. What are the kinds of things that you do in your groups that, uh, that create that? Right. Okay. So one thing in particular that I've been using for quite some time now is called the challenge process. And it's, yeah, it is is quite a challenge because the way it works is if, if you, for example, have something big you're facing in your life, it doesn't have to be like, you know, should I get a divorce? Although it can be, um, it could also be just like, I'm kind of stuck in this place. Like I can't get my website up or my podcast. I don't know. It's just not jiving. I don't know what's going on with it. Whatever. There's a hitch in the giddy up. There's a hitch in the giddy up. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and you can bring it to us and we have a conversation about it, but we have a conversation in a very particular way. So what I did was I kind of made a composite of all of the things I had learned from, from different backgrounds and experiences that I'd had. So, I mean, I had a degree in conflict resolution, so conflict and good communication, all Mm. that's a huge part of that. But I also, I've also done a lot of personal development work, of course. I incorporated some of that nonviolent communication. There's all kinds yeah, of things. I love right? nonviolent communication. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, amazing yeah. stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, cause obviously I'm a big, I'm a big kind of throw stuff together sort of person. I was yeah. like, I like this. I like that. I like that. Let's put it all together and create this process where someone can get their, their the hitch in their giddy up kind of troubleshooted, I guess, troubleshot, whatever mm. the word is by the people in the room. So you can sort of benefit from the collective wisdom of the people that are in there. So the way it works is kind of confronting, but it's very cool. So if you are the person with the challenge, you get to tell us, the group, for five minutes what the nature of that challenge is, but in a very kind of like factual sort of way, like the who, what, where, when, Uh and how I felt about it and where I think I'm stuck. And you have to be able to say in a breath what you think the challenge is so that okay. we can really respond to something specific. So it's not this like nebulous conversation where we're right, where all over the place. back and forth <clears throat> in a never ending drama. Right. So it has to be like, do I leave this guy or not? <laughs> or right. whatever okay. it is, right? right. So yeah, you brass tacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you bring this up. And then we get about 20 minutes to ask you questions about it. But the questions can't be leading. They genuinely have to be questions. They have to be open-ended, curious, short questions that will help us understand the nature of your challenge better. Then we get 20 minutes to talk about your challenge as though you weren't in the room. And you have to just listen. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty confronting, but it's not as bad as it sounds because it's not like we're going, you know, she's really crazy. She should just leave that jerk. It's not like that at all. We have to respond to that challenge based on our own experience with something called empathetic identification. So I have to just go like, yeah, okay. So Norma Jean was thinking of leaving her husband and I've been in that place before too. And here's how I handled that, you know, and I really identify with how she's feeling around this, this or that. 
Now you get to listen to all of that. And you as an empowered woman get to say, I'm picking that up or I'm not picking that up because it's up to me, right? Mm -hmm. It's her story, not yours. So it's up to you whether or not you take that on board. Empathetic. Identification. Identification. Right. Very cool. Yeah. So then after those 20 minutes are done, we get 10 minutes to give you super, super concrete steps about things that you might do to move through the challenge more quickly. So that could be books, I don't know, healers, websites, tools, whatever, or even just attitudes or, or beliefs or whatever right. that we be think. Be grateful. Yeah, exactly. It can be anything, right? But it has to be like something concrete. Mm-hmm. And then you get five minutes to tell us what you thought about the whole thing. And then we hold an intention and then have lunch. Oh, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. You get five minutes. Yeah. Then, right. Okay. Good. It goes super, super fast. And it does no, it rock your world. it sounds like it's really quite like intense, you know? It's super intense. I mean, if there was people talking for how long? 20 minutes. Yeah. Like I wasn't in the room about my my intense issue. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, to hear other people's perspective a lot of the time, because I think a lot of the time you don't know where people are coming from mm-hmm. until they look at a problem you have, or maybe something in your life through their lens of experience. Yeah, exactly. And there's just so much wisdom in a group of women. I just can't emphasize that enough. Like, you know, we can spend a lot of money going to therapists and, you know, this healer and that, and this is not to discount at all the role that therapists or healers play in our lives. Mm. But really at the end of the day, you have the answer to all of your problems within you, but sometimes no one's ever asked you the question or the right question. Sometimes it's about asking the right question. And sometimes it's about letting yourself make decisions that aren't always fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and just being open to having your your perspective shifted a little bit by somebody else's experience and knowing that it just comes from a place of of service, like them wanting to help you. They don't you're not right. paying no them. Agenda. There's no yeah, exactly. They're just there to share a little bit of what their experience has been for your benefit. Right. Which is great. Wow. Feels and really wonderful. What kind of questions do people ask? Is it like should I move across the world? Should I marry my partner? Should I, I I mean, yeah. is it all across the board? Well, there are some that come up again and again all the time, obviously. One is, um, should I stay or should I go? Oh, <laughs> it's right. a typical n- nomad one. Bali is one of those places, for those of you listening, it's, it's one of those places where if you're meant to be here, you feel almost like you're embraced, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you're embraced by this warm you know, mother Bali and all of these opportunities come up and you're like, Oh, I could stay another week. And I think for a lot of us that live here in Ubud or who visit quite often, it's, it's common. Yeah. It's very, very common. Yeah. Yeah. And another really common one that I see come up a lot of times is situations where people feel stuck and they don't know why, and they genuinely have no idea what it is. And nine times out of 10, it's trauma. It's some kind of Mm. underlying trauma um, where they have become afraid or um, they have some belief or something associated with what they're capable of doing in the world and it's stopping them from doing what they want to do. Yeah. So in businesses, for example, we see that all the time. Like I used the example earlier of, you know, you can bring a, a challenge about a website. Like I've seen people bring stuff about like, yeah, I just can't get my website together. I don't know why. And then you dig down and you realize like, you know, this person was like mercilessly teased when they were a kid for, for, you know, wearing weird stuff to school. Right. Right. So they're afraid of visibility. Like they don't want to put themselves out there because they don't want to be teased. And I mean, that can sound a bit trite when you're in your thirties or forties, but it's a massive deal. It totally makes sense. Sometimes you talk to people about something and you know, I, I know someone who was trying to get a project off the ground and it was like, they were, they were coming up with a small excuse, you know? And, And you were like, 
but that can't actually be the reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always something you're deeper. Right. Yeah, right. when you're yeah. that stuck. Yeah, right. Like people get into things like I just can't find the right font. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, ah, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's not a thing. Absolutely. Um, amazing. Cool. So we're gonna take a short break, and then we'll come back, and I want to hear a little bit about um, some tips you have about integrating the challenge into your own lives, and maybe some expat tips you have since you've been. How long have you lived abroad? Uh, 20 years or so. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are with Renee Martinez. Today's podcast is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer, songwriter, inspirational daily doodler. I draw an original cartoon every day on my Instagram at Norma Jean Loves Doodles. I have some shirts of them, and you can hear all my music at njloves.com. So I hope you enjoy the show, and please support my art, because it supports the podcast, which supports my art. <laughs> I don't know which is first, the chicken or the egg. Um, and we are looking for sponsorships, so if you know anyone, please have them get in contact. You can find us at staywildpodcast.com. Welcome back to Stay Wild. I'm here with Renee Martina. Hi, Renee. Hi. So we're talking about the program you have in Bali called Women in Transition and and a process you have called the choice. The challenge. The challenge, yeah. The challenge, right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit challenged by that. Um, So what is it about working with women that you find so enriching? And in terms of support, how is it different than general support that human beings need? So when people ask me the question, you know, why women? I mean, first of all, it's just because I've been working with women my whole life in one form or another. And so that just feels like a calling for me. But secondly, it's because I think in general, and this goes for both sexes, not just women, you can go a lot deeper, a lot faster with the same sex group. So for example, when we talked about the blocks that people face often being related to some kind of trauma, whether it be big or small, women and men will both feel safer in a group of same sex to be able to go into those challenges. That's, it's a very simple commonality. Um, yeah. And I just, there's a safety aspect somehow. I think, I think for a lot of women, there's a lot of sexual trauma, for example. And for obvious reasons, a lot of them would feel safer talking about that in a group of women than they would in a group of, of men or in a mixed group. Mm. Um, but I also think there's a certain aspect around vulnerability that is safer in a same sex group. Mm. Um, and why that is, you know, I'll leave that to the sociologists. I have my own theories about it, but I wouldn't (laughs) want to share them here lest someone kind of call me out on it. But yeah, and I think vulnerability is the whole whole game. And you know, I know you want to talk a little bit about what tips I have for women in terms of getting support. Mm. And you know, that the one thing I always say to people is the the thing that will revolutionize your life and your transition will be your ability to tell the truth mm. in in all circumstances, right? So whether that be the truth about you know, a trauma that you've had or the truth about how you feel or the truth about what you like and don't like Mm. or the truth about anything. When you develop those relationships where you can just be who you are at any given moment, no matter what that is, good, bad, or ugly, that is completely and utterly liberating. So 
that authenticity. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I gave a speech not long ago where I was giving some how tos about how to tell the truth. And I was saying, you know, obviously you're not going to, you're not going to start with your deepest, darkest wound, right? Although ultimately that's the place we're getting to because that's the vulnerability and that is, is where right. deep connections are made, right? Then you can start out with little things. The example I use is I said, you know, I was out for dinner last night with a, with a friend and, and she just like blurted out that she likes to pee in the shower. And we all just sort of laughed. But I was, I said to the audience, I'm like, every single one of you that laughed right now awkwardly, it's like, you probably pee in the shower I, too. I, sometimes <laughs> if it's an outdoor shower, like we're in Bali. But the point is we all have these little wee secrets that we keep about ourselves because we think we're the only ones. And I always say that is a disease. It's called terminal uniqueness. And you will die of loneliness That's from that. That's a real thing. Well, it's a thing I've coined, but no, I really no, very no, much no, believe I'm it. I'm loving this. I'm loving this thing. Yeah. Terminal uniqueness. Uniqueness. Right. Like, I'm so special, I must be alone. Well, nobody's as weird as me, or right. nobody suffers quite the same way I do, or nobody's going to understand how uh, I want to do it, or whatever it is. It's just this, it's the ego, nobody really. Nobody suffers the same as me. <laughs> I'm yeah. the weirdest. Yeah, I'm the weirdest, exactly. I think we're all actually guilty of that. That's yes. so interesting. Yeah. Terminal uniqueness. Yes, absolutely. Wow. No, it's so true. I mean, every heartbreak, right? Every heartbreak, every insecurity, every moment of of fear and feeling like you're exposed Mm -hmm. comes from not feeling you will be accepted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we do a lot of what my girlfriend likes to say, comparing our insides to other people's outsides as well. Right. So social media as well, that only makes it worse. Right. So inside (laughs) you're feeling like this complete mess. And then I, and then I look at Norma Jean and I'm like, gosh, she's so put together and she's got a podcast and she's got an album (laughs) and she's doing this and she's doing that. But until I talk to you, then I'm like, Oh my God, you're kind of just as fucked up as I am. Oh my right. God, I totally am. I was laying on my floor last night thinking, I'm so single. If I tripped and fell and hit my head, I'd be dead three days and a rat from the rice field would be half my face. Just half. And I bet you could find a lot of other women in Ubud who feel it. Who feel exactly, exactly the same, the same way. way. It's a common experience. Right. And there's exactly. something so liberating about sharing that with other people and then laughing about it. Because that's really the magic of that kind of intimate connection with a bunch of other women is that you can laugh at yourselves. And laughter makes everything lighter, even the worst things in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of taking care of yourself and pushing through terminal uniqueness, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are some tips you have for like not letting yourself isolate in that space of, of comparing your inside to someone else's outside? I mean, especially in the age of social media, right? Yeah. You look at someone's life on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or, you know, one of the many platforms and you're like, gosh, their life looks great. Like I post a lot of photos of myself like, Hey, I'm in the rice fields, but Mm -hmm. that's just where I am. It's not where I am. Right. Yeah. I mean, social media, we can't even get started about that because that's a whole conversation that complicates things. But the biggest frustration that I often have being someone who works with people around the idea of self-care, but it's also struggling with self-care myself. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm an expert in it only because I'm so bad at it. Right. And I've had to teach myself all of these different things. I think that's how we become experts. In yes. things. It's like, it's like, I got to learn everything about this yeah. for my own sake. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. No, I mean, I do, tr- I do try and take care of myself, but it's been a struggle my entire life. Mm. And for me, the epiphany was when I realized that if my self-care, you know, list of things to do is like another list of things to do, like it's another thing I have to do, right. but it's not self-care. It's just another thing that adds stress and disappointment and, and makes me feel less than when I don't do it. Right. Mm. So when I was able to look at self-care as like, 
what really fills me up? Like what really replenishes me when, when I'm depleted, right? When I Mm. need to be fueled by something other than myself, I realized that my choices were really different then. It would be stuff like, you know, listening to a really beautiful piece of, of music I haven't heard in a long time or going to an art museum or having a bottle of wine with a friend, you know, I mean, there's no kind of like fitness expert that's going to go sit down, have a bottle of wine with a friend. That's the best thing to do. <laughs> Actually, for me, that's a really great thing to do. Just yeah. making time to, to be with a good girlfriend and share something like that. Um, and there's a million other things for me. Travel is massively important, even though it's kind of stressful on another level, it fills me up like nothing else. Hmm. So Again, as with all other things, your self-care plan, your learning plan, any of the stuff that we actually do in WIT in terms of trying to give people the time and space to figure out who they are, knowing yourself is the key. You're not the same as the other person who needs to like, you know, jog, have a smoothie and muesli before 7 a.m. or everything else is off, you know? Yeah. That might be you. But it's not, it's not, it's not me. No. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what do you know what you need to do to take care of yourself? Is that something you've ever really inquired into? Yeah. No, no, me. Yeah, 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 no. I've definitely been on the self-care, self-love journey. Yeah. Um I think as a woman in Ubud it's definitely you know, it comes with your with your taxi into town, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> like one ticket for self-care exploration. <laughs> um so for me it's a lot of what do I do for self-care? A lot of breathing. I've been getting into some mm. breath work. I do a lot of meditation. Yeah. Um, I, I just got a foam roller. It's so weird. I was in the States. I went to TJ Maxx. <laughs> it's like a roller. It's like a, it's like a big foam tube and you roll your body on it and like oh. myofascial releases. Oh. That's really I great. I one of those. It's that so epic. Really it's so like foam rolling. Okay. And I think, you know, for, for me, you're right. A lot of the things that you'd want to say, like... Oh, I, I go out and I take a walk in nature and I <laughs> contemplate. You know, yeah. like, like a lot of those things are not things that bring me joy. Yeah. Sometimes things that bring me joy are a bath or mm-hmm. some things that bring me joy are chocolate. Like standing up in my kitchen, eating it without pants on. <laughs> like, like no, or dancing in your underwear. That's exactly. one of my things. I love dancing in my underwear, right? Exactly. Or just hugging my kids. Like really simple things because mm. we're busy, right? And the more sort of simple things that, you know, simple pleasures you can fill your life with, the better it is. Absolutely. Well, Renee, thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you on Stay Wild. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Absolutely. little humans this is today's toast poem and I think it really hits a chord I was really inspired by what Renee said in terms of terminal uniqueness you know the idea that our suffering is ours and our insides match their outsides I wrote this poem maybe six months ago um, and I wanted to share it with you today so here we go who knows how they hold it together I don't see their flaws only ours Our insecurity, doubts, hopes, dreams. What if things aren't okay? What if we never meet who we need, crave, seek? How are they not crippled by it? I will always love you for letting me in. Hearth warm with companionship and vulnerability. Maybe they have hearths. Maybe they have places to gather. I've never seen them or heard whispers of their existence. Who knows how they hold it together?
That's our show for today. Big thanks to Renee Martina. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. You can hear more about her Women in Transition program and Hubud in general at hubud.org. That's H-U-B-U-D.org. They do a lot of really interesting stuff in the space of digital nomads and making that jump. So that's really cool. I hope you enjoyed the toast poem. Um, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. If you write us a review, that would be great. It really helps. Every single review really, really helps. Um, and today's podcast is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. So you can see all of my artwork, all my daily cartoons, original daily doodles, all my singer, songwriter, music, all my shenanigans at njloves.com. So once again, I hope you enjoyed the show. And until next time, little humans, stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.